0: Hello and welcome to Carl's interviews in podcast form. This is an audio extraction of the live interviews that I've conducted with some absolutely fantastic guests from all walks of life with a common theme. Have been truly inspiring, and I cannot wait for you to hear their story. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another of Carl's interviews. Today I'm joined by Hannah England, Hannah, obviously a former GB middle distance runner but also a superb ambassador for her sport and wider fitness and inclusivity. She's a member of a number of committees and that is something I particularly like to discuss with her as well as obviously the athletics career in which she was so successful within. So, Hannah, tell me. Obviously, some people may not be aware of where these committees exist or what the extra stuff involves, and certainly not the value you add to future, current, and former athletes. So, do you want to talk to me a little bit about, I suppose, all the committees that you are on?
1: Um, right. Well, there's uh, the main one really I'm chair of the UK Athletics Athletes Commission. Um, so, that was started probably for, well, it. My term as chair is up in a few months and that'll mark four years of um that existing. We had one um I want to say maybe ten years ago or so, but it felt fell out of it. for whatever reason it sort of disbanded. Um but thanks to Kelly Southerton, um, ex heptathlete and four hundred meter runner, um we revamped it four years ago and started it again. Um it's been really rewarding. I think uh it's really cheesy. But um, I remember a race organizer once, in regard to drugs testing at his meet, he said, "If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem." And that always really resonated with me. And then, and this opportunity came up with the with the commission, and I kind of thought, oh, "Screw it!" Like, yeah, we, we all sit around there at meal times complaining about what goes on in our sport. Um, and I'd done that for year, you know, I'd done that for a decade. And I thought, all right, you know, if I, I can continue to do that, but I might as well try and actually influence change at the same time. Um, and then there was the opportunity to become chair, and I thought, well, again, screw it, I'll go for it. You know, if, if I'm going to do it, I'll go the whole hog. Um, and it's been it's been really rewarding. Um, like personally, sort of like my development um is I, I was I was a full time athlete for a long time, and that's quite um that 's quite linear it 's quite focused um, so to have the opportunity to build my skills outside of that that was that was super fun um and then it's just it's a privilege to try and represent the other athletes um i like love the idea of giving back even a tiny bit i I love my career i don't have like many complaints or many things i'd change. Um, And I want every athlete to have that experience. So anything I can sort of influence um, to that, to to try and help that be a reality. um, Yeah, it's just awesome and very motivating. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been if anyone follows sort of athletics in the UK, I think we've had in the time I've been chair, maybe three chairs of UK Athletics. Three CEOs, um, yeah, two PD uh, performance directors. Um, it's it's in, on the Olympic side. We've had the continuous uh, with Paula Dunn on the Paralympic side, um, but it's it's been a lot of effort to get to know different people and try and try and influence in an effective way but that again personally that's been a big learning curve um but you know as a commission I, I think we could just have some continuity for a year or a year and a half with some of those like decision makers um we'll be away and running um but like all those people have been very supportive in their own ways but i'm, I'm pretty excited about like where the commission can go i'm going to step down as chair in october um because i think i'm, I'm too far removed from competing i, I want to support them as a group but um Andy Hayes is an ex-cross-country runner and um, ex-current cross-country runner. And he's going to come in um, and uh, be the new chair. So I'm looking forward to supporting Andy doing that. So that's the main one. But then I also am on the European Athletics Athletes Commission um super fun i got like elected to that from um competitors uh, at the european champs so that's kind of fun um and yeah i get a similar sort of thing on, on a european scale and they're really tuned into the the council and european athletics as well um so we get to input and from everything from like education for athletes and um, through to stuff like the hot seat at european champs so they they make people sit on the the, the non-automatic qualifier we can't say fastest loser um make them sit on that chair and, and wait to see if they're gonna you so we kind of weighed in on stuff like that and uh, try to influence like a broad spectrum of kind of athletics in Europe um but I also do a role with British Gymnastics which has been really rewarding um they have an athlete rep group that I've sort of tried to help on that side as well um so I think that's it in terms of like those committees and commissions I don't think I'm forgetting one but uh yeah those are uh, it's, it's, it's really fun um it's a total learning curve like when you're an athlete. You think, oh, I want to change something. You know, if something's not going right in your training, you change it, and that's it. It's different the next day. Um, so to have to have that patience and, like, perseverance to kind of drive change. But hey, I, I heard that's more like real life than uh, being an athlete. So <laughs> it's
0: good. You're covering about 9,000 different points there is trying to jump and unpick various bits. So I kind of do it in reverse order. The first one, when I read about the gymnastics singing, because we're kind of going through it, I was thinking – Sure, she was a runner doing middle distance. <laughs> how did that come about and how does that work?
1: Oh, well, it was it's actually a UK sport um, stipulation as part of the funding that you have to have athlete reps. And um, that came in maybe three years ago as a result of UK sport really feeling like they didn't have their finger on the pulse um, with really how athletes felt. They they do exercises and they do questionnaires and they do end of season reviews, uh, but they sort of took a look at look at what they had and realised they needed to to have to formalise that athlete rep role. Um, but our commission in athletics predated that um, necessity, so it because we were up and running. Um, yeah, the the performance director in British Gymnastics was like, oh, like. Can you help us come and make our rep group um, formalise? They also, at that time, they didn't have a female that potentially could s- slot into that role for you know, everyone's personal journey with retirement and timing. Um, so we had a male equivalent, Christian and Thomas, who's an ex-gymnast, and I was sort of the female equivalent. So Christian, with his real specific gymnastics knowledge, me with my experience of athlete representation, um, and then yeah, to bring that athlete perspective as well, I think was, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that was part of the attractive. So the structure of having athlete reps, but then that perspective from a different sport.
0: And do you, do you refer to him as a male equivalent? Does that go down well? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's fine.
0: <laughs> do you find as well, because obviously with being a part of so the European, the, the British, etc., do they complement each other or do you sometimes find yourself pulled in different directions with what you're doing?
1: That's a good question. I think um I think they complement each other. It's you know, Britain's a big nation in Europe. Um and they they kind of tend to do their own thing and they can they can be a bit sort of uh you know, because they have they have that clout. Yeah. Uh so it's kinda it, it's been it's been interesting to hear the perspective of the smaller nations and try and take that in consideration. Um I think what's interesting on the European stage is uh the throws and the field events uh, everyone knows that that's a real challenge for those athletes to to get the media coverage to get the time on the track um, and i knew that in britain but that's been really helpful to so hear that from a european perspective and hear like the solutions and the ideas that are coming out of a european uh, community and then kind of reflect on that in a british community and um, yeah i think it complements it's all it's all layers <laughs>
0: Obviously, we're doing fantastically well again at the Olympics. Do you see our success there assisting in terms of a lot of these areas, everything from people's interest in it to the support opportunities it presents?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's just, I I, know, I won't slap, I love the Olympics. <laughs> uh, this is my second one uh, spectating. I did 2012 and I'm just, it's such a spectacle and I just love it. And I think it's it's so good for sport internationally and nationally across all the different um, events every year it's just such an opportunity to sort of push it to the forefront of, of everybody's mind like how important sport is uh, yeah for, for for the whole community like whether you're whether you're trying to win Olympic gold or just just take part.
0: In terms of athletics the field events are obviously get slightly less coverage because I regularly get from Sarah the fact that the, these other sports, if you like, the, the the deemed lesser sports or minor sports, always get the same. And it's one of the things I know when she was looking at the British Olympic Commission was doing the same, saying you need to champion these others. And what I've seen that's been fantastic is the way it's worked out this time. Some of the much smaller, less known sports have been front and centre. And the fact that we medalled there has given it a coverage, I suppose, no one would ever expected.
1: I, I think it was um, Nick Willis is a, a New Zealand um, 1500 metre runner. And he was saying, oh, I wish athletics was on at the start and we could get all that attention for the full whack. Um, I don't know. I kind of think, I feel like everyone's waiting for the athletics and that was kind of exciting. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, you're teasing people saying it's coming at the end. But yeah, to get, to get some of these smaller sports um, out there on the telly, you, despite the time difference we've got between Britain and, and Japan, um, you can see already like it's capturing people's imagination. And I just love the idea. I love the idea of just kids sitting there watching TV and, and just, yeah, finding some bizarre sport that maybe didn't even know existed a month ago and uh, getting excited
0: about that. The big thing is you've got some absolutely incredible athletes that are now going to get more investment, sponsorship, support on the back of this coverage that potentially they wouldn't have done because let's be honest, it is often athletes get potentially more or they're front and centre with the cyclists and others, whereas I think it's a real opportunity. As an ex-athlete, clearly you're going to be slightly biased, dare I say. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think... I think the spread of funding is important. Um, one, I think like one of the superpowers of athletics is that the inclusivity across all the different events, that you could be a thrower, a jumper, a sprinter. A, you know, there's so many different disciplines. Um, you know, every sport thinks they're special, but we really are. Um, and you've got, like, sure. I you could say, it, you know, 30 sports and one and all this, and, well, 30 might be stretching. But, uh, yeah, I, I I love the idea of in athletics that, you know, you can bring a whole family of kids down to the track and each kid will find their niche. Um, but showcasing those, those other sports, um, I think, I think is really important for the nation. You're just culture, you know, people fit into, fit into different boxes and you just want everyone to find, find a sporting box. So I wish there was enough funding for all of them, uh, to have, Yeah, I wish, I wish funding was never an issue, uh, for any sport, but yeah, unfortunately there's only so much money, isn't there? <laughs>
0: And, um, a, a complete broad spectrum of guests in terms of experience and also time in. And I, I suspect, with when you started your journey, you were kind of benefiting from that little bit more investment in terms of time, opportunities, and money because you started them um, right as a teenager with a local athletics club and kind of built on for there. So, do you want to talk to me about, I suppose, that initial journey and what made you decide that athletics was the one for you?
1: Um, I come from quite a sporty family. Like um, cricket is our family sport, and um, I am naff at cricket. I used to not bowl and bat last; it was tragic. And um, going, I remember doing cross country at school, coming third, thinking, "Hang on a minute, my effort actually matched my uh, result." Like that was fun. Um, and going to my cricket coach and saying, "Athletics clashes with cricket. What should I do?" And he said, why don't you go and try it? You can always come back. <laughs> and so I, it was really that uh, I'm really quite mal-coordinated. Um, like people think I'm being modest. Like, I'm really, really, really not. Um, like, I, yeah, I'm really rubbish if you added any extra equipment. Um, so, get yeah, when I found my niche in athletics, it was very much that parallel between the amount of effort and the reward. Um, that I, Yeah, I really enjoyed Like I did a lot of ballet and dance, and that was similar. Again, you know, I, could, I was good at that, and I could see – it paying off. Um, but yeah, I just really fell in love with athletics. It was a great, like local club system in Oxford. Um, it was really good. I was saying to my mum the other day, I said, um, oh, you know, athletics is quite a cheap sport. You're quite lucky I chose a cheap sport. Um, and she said, well, no, not when you think about all the driving your dad had to do and the fact that he couldn't drive the other two anywhere. My mum doesn't drive. Um, you know, she was like, it took a lot of time and petrol and, and hotels when you wanted to go and compete at a national champion. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, it's not got a boat or a horse. But um, yeah, I was very lucky that I had very, very um, supportive parents and like, could transition into university environment uh, really well, and then just off the back of that, is we've got a great setup in Britain, I think, for for nurturing athletic talent. Um,
0: You're using that as a measure. It hasn't got a a, a boat or a horse. Obviously, it's quite a cheap sport. When you look at the amount we have to spend as runners, as well, obviously, kit, trainers, race entry, etc. But we'll go with that. It's a cheap sport. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, What's it for you? Then did you really? Was it you that realised or someone around you kind of pointed out? Actually, quite good at this. You could go further. Was it successes at uni or was it even beyond that? Um, it was
1: probably beyond university. I was super lucky I had the same coach for my whole career um so from 14 to 33 um which is quite unique in athletics a lot of people they might have the same coach maybe 18 upwards like that sort of thing but to have one from so young um was I I think a big strength for me um and bud my coach he he just he never never pushed he never said oh yeah you're gonna go to the Olympics you're gonna do this you're gonna do that it was all about just staying in the sport year on year Um, And as I matured as an athlete, I realized quite how restrained he was when I was a junior because I did have talent and I I did run well as a junior, but I was doing nothing. I was doing three, four days a week. Um, He was a senior coach already, coaching senior internationals. So he knew what he could give me and he didn't. He very selectively um, progressed me as an athlete Um, in a way that meant I loved the sport. I loved training. I loved competing that I was always going to stay in the sport because of the way he nurtured me. Um, so I think that just allowed it to be quite a natural progression. And I made I made a big uh, – I did a year out in America as part of my studies. Um, and I massive PBs there. That was the first time I had a coach that was like – you probably treat me a bit more professionally <laughs> yeah she sort of put the fear in me and uh and pushed me to my limits and that I made a big jump up there and that was when I could become a prof- professional athlete and um yeah sort of a senior international from that so it kind of happened I, I was pretty academic I was really into um I did biochemistry I thought I was going to do a PhD um that was like no, my brother and sister did PhDs I thought that's my life a PhD will be all right for running because it's, it's not a job. I can still run alongside it. Um, <laughs> my brother told me that's not true. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, so I sort of just thought that would be my pathway and then sort of accelerated a lot, a lot better than I thought I would towards the end of university um, just before time, which is, um, again, I was really lucky that it It was a really clear choice. I was running so well. I had funding. I had a kit contract. Um, It was really nice sort of, okay. this is what I'm doing now. Like, yeah, this is my my best opportunity when I finish university
0: because as you say it's not conventional is it and often we hear stories of especially young athletes that show potential and are pressured either the coach who consumes pressure or externally so it's an interesting approach that he's and you can tell that comes across from interviews you've done to how he performed in the sport that love of it enthusiasm but I wonder looking back do you ever think should he have pushed you a little bit harder could it fulfil more potential or are you happy with the love of the sport you have now as a result of all this
1: I mean I think the f- I, Catherine Granger was just saying on the telly before this, <laughs> like when you think how hard it is to make an Olympics, make Olympic final, do, do all this, do all that. A that, silver medal at the World Championships was epic. Like that, the the chances of pulling that off on that day are ridiculous. Like it's just, you know, it was bonkers. So I think I wouldn't change a single thing along that pathway. But yeah, for that reason, you know, I, I think. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- I I don't wish I also had a World Junior medal or a European Junior medal or that sort of thing. I I don't have any medals in the age groups. Um, so yeah, I I did represent. I did representation at that at that level, but um, yeah, no, I'm fine with it.
0: <laughs> On the spirit of kind of looking back, you also said that um, there's not much I would change or much I would do differently when you were talking earlier. So it's got to ask the obvious question what would you then if there wasn't much there's going to be some things
1: um what would i change um i think like uh i towards the end of my career i struggled with injuries and illness but it was illness really i think i could have learnt lessons quicker um and i think potentially i didn't have a smooth run into getting a silver medal at worlds but um yeah, on that sort of sense of enjoyment, I distinctly remember the day after getting a silver medal just going, I thought that would be work. Like, I thought I'd have to go through more heartache to to get this, <laughs> you know. You sort of, yeah, I'd have a few injuries. It had been a bit tricky, but I was like, well, I thought it would take more sort of angst than that. I didn't think it would be such a, a fun journey. Um, so a part of that came afterwards. And I think uh, it was almost like a, it's always like a poison chalice, like knowing what made me very good. Um, I was more stubborn about sticking to that. Um, so potentially always like battle to to do what I did in my best years rather than sort of accepting I needed to change and adapt. Um, whereas if I'd maybe had more disruptions along the way to my peak, I might have been more open to learning that. Um, but, you know, I was quite stubborn. I was like, you know, it's simple. All I need to do is get back to what I was able to do those years. Um, I, I did. There was there was some growth and some change. I sort of appreciated I needed to train my body differently, um, but I was probably slow in learning. Yeah, in figuring that out, but um, yeah, which is, which is a bit frustrating, but it's all right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> could be worse. I think you me a look here. and still a, a world champion silver is not to be sniffed up by any stretch, isn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, you- no, yeah. It's not. So the thing I'm always interested as well, is, and and you've kind of benefited and been a victim of this as well, is the rigours of the selection process. Um, we're very blessed within the UK. We've got some really good middle distance runners. And even as recently at this Olympic selection, they, we saw some fantastic young women all competing, a number of them at the standard. So do you think we've got it right in terms of as a country? Do you think we could learn more from it? And what's it like for you? being on the other side of it where you weren't there was obviously three places four people and you didn't make it
1: yeah it's it's really tough so i I was top three but didn't make it for beijing um and berlin world champs so you know then i would say make it through across the line like you know it's it's i I admire that system and, and I, I, I think that's a real strength in the American system, for instance. I think it, it turns them into born racers. Yeah. Um, it doesn't give them that, uh, that get out clause. Um, well, Christine Araujo did a great captain's speech um, and won championships. Uh, it's a story about burning your, burning your ships. Yeah. You have to burn your, burn your ships so that you, you truly commit to your, your quest. You know, you've got no other way than to succeed. Um, and so I think the Americans nailed that. Because, you know, it's it's third or nothing. And that's backed up through their collegiate system, through their high school system. So for us to go at that senior championship level, three across the line, um, without backing it up through the age groups and through the championships. Um, yeah, I think there's a process there that would need to change. But I think if we could do that, it would I think it would make more resilient athletes. Um, not to say that anyone that hasn't made it through merit of being top three isn't resilient. I went to 2012. I couldn't do the Olympics because I picked up an injury. Um, so, yeah, yeah. then you accelerate to 2012 and I say, yeah, you know, top two plus one is perfect. <laughs> Bring it on. So I think, it's a, I think we're nearly there with the strength and depth in some events, but we're a small nation and I think you turn around time and time again and say, well, of course we want Laura Muir there. Like, of course we do. It doesn't matter. Even if she's had a disruption, we need her on that team. And I think is more often an argument to include a really stellar athlete. Um yeah, I it would be interesting to do that to crunch the numbers and say who would miss out who then went on to get a medal. So Lisa Dabriskie isn't you know, we're going back a, a, over a decade but Lisa Dabriskie was the discretionary pick over me for Berlin and she got a silver medal. So you can't you can't say oh you should take in the the young up and coming Hannah you should take Lisa because she got a silver medal. So it's it's complicated I think um it would be nice for athletes to be in a position where they control their selection utterly. Um, it, it, that's, I think that's the hardest thing for athletes. Um, if they don't qualify automatically and they're sitting there and waiting, it's just, it's just the pits. Like it, to feel out of control of your biggest passion is just a nightmare it, in a very objective sport. We're not gymnastics. We're not diving. We're not. Um, I think that's, it is quite often heartbreaking so when that comes to four i'm like yeah just put it three across the post and you know where you're at and it's i think it puts um i think it would take the pressure off the governing body as well it's so much angst uh from those from, from those discretionary picks but it's a of worms <laughs> that i don't want to have to answer ever properly one has to be responsible for.
0: do you think at all because obviously by missing out as you did in berlin did that motivate you or inspire you for what you then wanted to do in South Korea? Or was it just how you were naturally maturing as an athlete, progressing with your training that you were the right person to go there?
1: Um, I got asked that question a load. I um, won the trials the year after. Um, I'm not, and I was reflecting on this with my husband the other day, Like, I'm not really um, a like, fight and prove them wrong like that's that's not really my my forte like I you know some people like ah, I just got to beat them Yeah, like that that just sort of stressed me out um so no it generally just I was generally just gutted it wasn't I was motivated by the fact that I was running pbs and I was very close but it wasn't – yeah, I was genuinely just totally gutted by not making it. Um, and I think that a lot – you know, some people, when you've got head-to-head rivalries and you've, you've got intense situations, like they weren't natural to me. Like they weren't – yeah, that wouldn't bring out the best in me. I, I'd freeze more often than not. Um, so for me, it was very much sort of trying to block all that out. Um, yeah, So because it, 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 it's, it's a common question. Oh, you just missed out. It's going to make you better. Um, but for me, it was – if I – I would be too emotional about that to use it, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I don't know, that's just me.
0: Um, people about is as well, when you're going to a race, so literally um, you're in the warm-up area and going out to the track and starting, it's been fantastic listening to people's different experiences, those that kind of take in listen to the crowd, those that are aware of those around you. What was kind of your experience and how did you deal with things?
1: Um, very insular. Um, I'd be all about trying to... Keep myself in a positive mindset. Um, it, the more relaxed I was, um, the better I would run. I, I wouldn't get, I couldn't get fired up. I would only get anxious. So it was about being relaxed, and for me, that was about trying to control as much of the situation like it's sort of pseudo control because of course i don't have control because there's 12 other people like the 11 other people in the race is chaos Uh, but if i could like fool myself that i had an element of control and that i was in control of my race plan and how i was going to execute and i could relax then that's when i could unleash a great sprint sprint finish i could conserve that energy i could maneuver make good decisions and it was much more about trying to be insular there were obviously periods like the 2012 olympics commonwealth games in scotland um where i was like no like i am gonna look up like this this is bigger than just you know i'm running three and three quarter laps in this way like, like yeah, you had to had to take that in um but yeah in terms of like those those i would just try it's control uh, which is such a fragile thing to rely on but i tried to <laughs>
0: As well kind of because especially you started as a younger athlete and progressing through, you found yourself mentoring or supporting the younger generation coming through as well.
1: I do enjoy that. I think it's it's a fine. I am a bit of a know-it-all, um, so <laughs> but it's finding fine line between. I, I like to help. Um, I like to offer solutions. I guess that's the, that's sort of my comfort zone. I really, I like solving problems as well. So whether it would be like problems with my career or trying to figure out what to do or someone else's, like, that's really exciting to me. Like That en- that engages me a lot. And um, I'm really fortunate. My husband coaches a fantastic group here at um University of Birmingham. Well, he doesn't coach all of them, but it's a massive big group. Um, and I do take, like, a lot of self-worth and a lot of joy out of trying to help those guys. Um, whether it's just practical, you know, I've had that injury, I tried this, it worked, um, or just trying to – yeah, trying to be that sort of sounding board if they're going through. Um, I mean, yeah, sports really, really tough. So I, I do like to try and um, get involved a little bit like that. Yeah, keeps makes me think I'm still, still involved in the action as well. If I can, if I can chip in a little bit. But um, I also run a, a kids club uh, with one of my ex training partners, um, and that's like. That's super fun. I mean, it's there's no elite, like, it's so basic. I, I teach them how to long jump and they can long jump further than me. Uh, but that, that's like a great, I love sort of, I started that when I was still training and competing. um And it was, I loved seeing that sort of like raw joy for sport, like, in kids as well. So that was, yeah, that was super
0: fun. You phrase that when you're saying, um, I like to help people. There, there was an indication that they require that help, but I like to offer that advice and guidance. <laughs> And then it it comes out when you start looking at, obviously, we spoke about um, the Athletics Commission, spoken about um, you're involved with the IOC at one stage of the 24, spoken about um, you setting up this Birmingham Athletics Academy. And it's a myriad of different roles. It kind of says a lot about that. You are indeed that sort of person. I really don't think when you hand your chair over, that will be it. There's clearly going to be something else you're going to progress on to
1: well I, I firmly want to support yeah support the next chair and, and try and help that group thrive because we've done so we've worked so hard in the last sort of three and a half four years um yeah i definitely won't be walking away I and mean, yeah, there's boundaries i can't vote anymore and i can't <laughs> can't see the draft selection policies that were only for their you know i can't see stuff like that but um i definitely hope that's what happened with our, our guys that graduated off that and um, that platform as well they've stayed around to help but yeah it's, it's a tough one because I, I love being involved in the sport um But as a retiring athlete, um, David Gillick said this to me, an Irish um, 400 metre runner, he said very quickly, if you're not careful, you look up and you're the only person not being paid around the table. Um, Because continually people say, oh, you you know, you want to give back to sport. And you're like, I do, I do, I do, I do. And then, you know, I'm two years retired now. Um, yeah, and it, they're tied turning like. Okay, I need to. Uh, you know, I, I want to start a career. I want to establish myself in another area. Um, and it's hard to find that that space and that time um, for the voluntary work. Uh, I, yeah, I still do. It I'm a sucker and I love it. Um, but it's. know, uh, yeah, that's that's you. You want to give back, but you don't want to feel like you've been taken advantage of. And I think that's that's a tough one for athletes because yeah, they, they, yeah. At the end of the day, your focus needs to change. You're not making income from racing. Um, yeah, you need to sort of do things in a way that's sustainable
0: January 2020 didn't you um presumably because you've got a crystal ball you saw a global pandemic and thought right I'll, I'll just call it a day now
1: <laughs> Generally, I was so snug about the timing of that
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was very much I, I felt um yeah I was a notch off it was going to take a big ask to get anywhere near making take you and I, I nearly t- retired the year before, but I'd had an injury. So I was like, you know what? I'll give myself one more year without an injury. I did that. It still wasn't what wasn't enough. Um, and my plan was upskill myself. And then when there's loads of jobs after the Olympics, because everyone reshuffles, yeah. um, I'll be ready to to pounce on one of them. Um, so that's been frustrating that, like, that, yeah, of course, you try and make a pl- Yeah, we're always goal-orientated as athletes. You're always trying to do stuff. Um so it's a bit frustrating that, like, that hasn't materialised. You know, we're still here waiting for that to happen. Um, but it is nowhere near as frustrating as, I imagine, as trying to prepare for an Olympics. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember, I, I, like, half a day was like, this is so irritating, this wasn't my plan. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, trying to train and compete in a pandemic, like, yeah, that is just, like, hats off to the athletes. And I I think particularly those that are, had made a plan to retire after Tokyo, um, that's, Brutal. Like if to find a whole nother year of motivation when that was the environment you were trying to find it in is that's really tough. I think you yeah, know, you just look at like what Helen Glover did today. Um it's, it's just like finding that motivation from somewhere, um, yeah, is a bit beyond me. So I'm glad I didn't have to do it. I um
0: so. went to Sanders with Helen, who obviously did uh, went through with Helen. And I remember we used to do training during the day and then you'd watch you watch her to jump on the rowing machine for another hour after. and you think that's just not normal. What's wrong with you people?
1: <laughs> I mean, sports people are a bit weird. Like, yeah, particularly middle distance females. They can be very weird. We're endurance females.
0: So yeah. <laughs> you, you, uh, dare I say, because there's always a challenge for a lot of athletes, unless they've been in that, as they refer to it, that 1%. The what next is they retire young. Sometimes they might get a little bit of money put aside, but often it's that very quickly dries up. And then if they're not doing other things, or they don't have potentially a degree in biochemistry and are working on a dozen different panels. It must be quite difficult to what they go on to do. Do, do you think we, as a sort, of the British Society, support this enough, and the Athletics Commission, etc., do enough to help with that transition?
1: No, I don't. I think um, I think it's it's I think it's the responsibility with the governing bodies um, to structure um, that retirement support better. Um, there's a lot of fantastic people in different governing bodies working very hard at it, um, and they are making headway. But and it's a cultural shift from the athletes as well. I think um, for athletes, it's very taboo to talk of retirement. Um, it's seen it's seen as as failing. Yeah, um, you know, if you, I think internally, you know, before you add in coaches and support network, as an athlete, it's very hard to to think about finishing um, in any sort of coherent, um, like non-emotive way. Um, like I'd like to see retirement and post career totally normalised as a conversation. Yeah. Um, and there's some fantastic um, the performance lifestyle teams, both in athletics and gymnastics, do a lot. They do do a lot of work on this, um, and it's you know, it's about trying to normalise that conversation. Um, but I think you need the coaches on board. I think you have um, everything from the social media perception of of being a full time athlete as this dream you know you, you you think oh if i get on that gb team that's it i'm sorted financially emotionally for life um whereas i think the reality of it uh is quite different from that and i think if if we can share the story and this is something we worked on with the commission as well if we can share those retirement stories and those transition stories um down the pathway and just give people a bit of a kick at the backside if anything and just say, all right, like right, you're 18, you're bloody good, this could happen, you could go to the Olympics, but you might only be on six grand a week, or six grand a year. <laughs> yeah, A week would be right, right, wouldn't it? You, know, you, you could achieve that, you could go to the Olympics in an event and be on under 10 grand a year. Yeah. Or the gymnastics, um, some of their staff have put it really well a few years ago, you could be on A-level funding in the sports, so it's 26 grand a year, tax-free. Do you have the qualifications and the infrastructure to go out and get a job like that? So you've, you're creating a lifestyle and, and a way of living that's almost, it, it, it's not not just like it's it's required to help you perform well, but I think it's a, it's a real, it can be a real shock to the system when they go at you. I remember the number being thrown out was something like 34 grand a year would be the equivalent if you're paying all your taxes and stuff. And you need to look at it, you look at a young athlete on funding and say like, can you, you have you set yourself up to do that after your career? Um, so, yeah, it, it is, it's an area that we are very passionate at on, the, uh, on the Athletes Commission. Um, I think there is a responsibility from governing bodies. I think the general community is fine because they love athletes. They really do. It's such a buzz thing you know, to get someone to compete for their country. Um, so I'd love to see governing bodies help athletes bridge that gap. Because you walk into any business, they bite your hand off. If you're an Olympian, they go, yeah, please come and work for me. But you don't even know how to approach and you don't know how to start that conversation. Um, so I think it's an easy sell out into the wider community that, yeah, could
0: be structured better.
1: <laughs> I, you can tell I got a lot to say on that one.
0: <laughs> it's why I asked it, and in fairness, it's something I'm passionate about as well. I've had a number of conversations and these are ranging from the likes of speak, talking to Tasha Danvers, who once said, yeah, great. My Olympic medal has been fantastic. When I was working at a night shift at Target's paid the bills. Um, and you're talking to Adam Jamili when his funding was withdrawn because they didn't think he was a viable candidate. What's he going to do? Um, and it's even the work obviously, I've done with Sarah recently when she kind of came out and said, well, I've done Taekwondo, I've done this, uh, this is a CV. And she hadn't had that help and support. And it's trying to explain that those incredible transferable skills. And um, a comparison I use often is very similar to the military. But when these young soldiers first join, the last thing I think about is resettlement, transitioning, getting out. But you need to start having those conversations early. Utilise the time because they could be medically discharged early or move on. And then the same thing, they've got wonderful transferable skills. But again, because they've been in a very tight bubble that's so different from the rest of the world and protected, it's, it's almost like shocker captures It captures when you go, Now, what do I do then? What, what are these jobs you're on about? And how do I get one?
1: <laughs> but I think it was, when athletes come to the end of their career, the stress of knowing, like, you know, you've got no qualifications, like, you know, you've got, you haven't got, like, you're going to have to blag your way through the next few years. Like that, I think the stress of that can really impact on the last few years. Yeah. You know, could it, could impact like the last Olympics that someone's going to do because they know, you know, that's hanging over them. So I think, yeah, you know, I'd love governing bodies to look at that from a performance point of view and say we'll get another two or three good years out of this senior established athlete if we support the next stage in their career, rather than just sort of putting on the blinkers and going, you know, train, 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 train. You can't, well, some sports you can train all hours of the day, but athletics you can't, like you can't, yeah, the impact, you can't do it. You should be, you should be doing something to help yourself in the, in the time outside it.
0: I of the questions up now because I know you've got strong views on a few things, but obviously it's always nice to talk to someone with a bit of experience, maybe to articulate those as well. So the first one that's risen again for the Olympics is clothing for female athletes. Um, what's deemed appropriate? Just, so What's your take on all this? I mean, what did you grow up being told and what's your view on things now?
1: Um, I think it should just be totally up to the to the athlete what they want to wear um I flabbergasted um I think I learned that in trampoline you can get docked points if you get a wedgie and I was like okay but do they make you wear a le- leotard and they're like, oh yeah and yeah, well, then we have to wear a leotard and you're like but you can't dock someone for getting a wedgie if you've demanded they wear a leotard like that's not there and <laughs> um, so I think it's it, you know, it's an expression I, I competed in small running briefs and I remember um, a sister of one of my closest friends saying, "But does that make you run any faster?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> you know, so sort of, it was it was it was just part of, for me. It was part of performing. You know, that was that was my that was like felt like my performance uniform. Not because it was skimpy, but for whatever you know, it wasn't what I trained in. It felt like it felt a bit special. It felt a bit different. Um, yeah, that was my choice. But I, I, you must have said that know, quite far into my career, and I'd never even thought of it um but yeah that's potentially you know i was lucky that i didn't feel i didn't feel self-conscious wearing them i was happy to wear them um but i think uh yeah just baffling isn't it with the volleyball stuff you kind of go but like does it impact but i understand you need to have the appropriate equipment to do the to do the competition like that that that, that's fine i got no problem with that but like why does that have to be smaller or larger or you know and i think i love the um there's two German gymnasts that have, they started at Europeans a few months ago, chosen to compete in leggings, um, because they, they've said, yeah, they wanted to desexualize the, you yeah, know, they, they much more eloquent about it than me. Um, but you kind of think, yeah, like yeah, and they have the backing of their federation they 've managed to do it at the Olympics as well they 've got permission to do that, and you just kind of go, yeah, if that 's what you want to wear, then then go for it um, so I, I think it should be totally up to it should be totally up to the athlete and and then that should be supported, uh, yeah, male or female
0: I mean, when you look at it, I think that in the majority of sports. Um, you can indeed you wear things appropriate for the sport so what you have seen is obviously clothing's changed over time and for a lot of runners obviously back in the 80s every all men had incredibly short shorts didn't they kind of progressed on the only time i think clothing should be um, monitored is we went through the period with swimming didn't we where actually the the outfits people were wearing actually were performance enhancing but beyond Mm -hmm. that it's i still cannot fathom why right so you're a female so you need to run in pants that's what you need to do and how we are still in this day and age but also slightly I suppose more worryingly it's been proven very sadly we've had issues with um teenage girls coaches um the sexualizing of them and the inappropriate behavior so why are we almost encouraging this in the way we're making them dress
1: yeah no and I, I totally agree and I think yeah if you if you yeah you, know, you get to sixteen you get to eighteen and you decide you know if it, that's your way to perform that's what that's what you know you like to compete in then that's fine but it is I think like at English schools for instance our English schools track championships there's a lot of uniforms where like knickers are the only option right. and that's like and that's gonna put people off the sport as well yeah. a lot of a lot of girls will turn around at twelve thirteen go I'm not wearing that in front of you know you're so self conscious at that age like I think it's uh, yeah that could be yeah yeah but aside from this potential like sexualization of a, an outfit and stuff as well it's that it's that yeah like it takes it takes a lot you know a very confident teenager to go yeah i'm all right in uh basically my pants <laughs> yeah so it's a, yeah and that's just just in athletics before you look at
0: yeah those other sports as well the same way you were saying about a potential study for those that um, didn't make the top three but were selected anyway, how they performed. The same with actually looking at individuals who have showed potential but uh, decided not to progress down the group because they don't feel that appropriate clothing. And if we almost said, right, f- wear whatever you like, how will we progress then? Would it open up more? Because in essence, it is a barrier, isn't it?
1: No, I, I absolutely think it is. So I have this group with like um, young athletes and uh, so we did 10 to 16 year olds. And the girls, once they get to thirteen, fourteen, and their bodies are changing, but um, like you can see it's it, it. They they won't they won't use their arms. Yeah. You know they'll they'll run like this, and that's that's when we're just saying you can wear what you want. Yeah, you can wear your PE you can wear your t shirt and your PE shorts. You can do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, you almost have to jump forward and go well, if you want to compete for a club or you want to compete for your school. All right, that's now a vest and some tight short. Yeah, you it's know, smaller smaller outfits. Like it's got it. Yeah, it's got to put
0: people off. Do you think in any of the positions you currently hold or you're aspiring to, you can going to have any influence on this? I don't know. It's a good <laughs> Do
1: you think, you think English schools is one? You know, and and yeah, it, it could be... Again, you know, I'm, I haven't done English schools for, for years. I haven't w- gone and watched for a couple of years. Um, I could be being dated, like, what you know, what weird to compete in. Yeah, it might have modernised a little bit, but I always think uh, Hampshire white pants as a young female so you've started your period so you started anything like that and the prospect of competing in white pants like whoever thought that was a good idea I have no
0: idea <laughs> it was clearly a man that went oh, I've got a great idea let's do this yeah <laughs> let's just cover briefly as well as again it's been something that's particularly prevalent we've seen with these olympics is the impact on performance on mental health and again, I'm interested in your take. Do you think we educate our young athletes enough? We support them enough? And could we do more?
1: Um, I think you can always do more. I think it is such a different place for mental health, just culturally. Yeah, I can't speak for every country or whatever, but certainly our country, like it's been a big part of the conversation for sports and non for everybody um in the last few years I think that's I think it's great the way that's been pushed to the forefront and it's it's just a different cultural um sort of attitude towards it in Britain um but you, you can you can always do more and I think as an athlete you're so you're just so willing to dive all in like of course you are like it's your passion it's your identity it's everything like it, it's it, it's like a black hole Like, you are going to jump into it and you are going to give it your all um and I think as you can throw medal targets and, you know medal targets are, are too too highly emphasizing all the staff around there they'll go okay let's all jump in let's all jump in that back, black hole and I think it takes like a, a really strong support person um to, to check themselves there um, and I think, and, and all of that comes to a head at, at the Olympics or at major championships. It does. It just spirals and escalates. Um, you know, in, in acceptable behaviours when you're driving to performance from all sides are just it's so polluted for me. I think it's it's really effing, like really hard. Like you, yeah. Everyone will just turn a blind eye if they think that that's gonna gonna. And that, that's that's very broad stuff you can turn a, black, a blind eye to, but on the, in terms of mental health, you kind of go, I'll, I'll hold it together for six months. You know, they, they've got the Olympics, we can't rock the boat. Like, yes, they've got some really bad habits and you know, whether it be eating, whether it be mental, like, depression, anything like that. And so we'll hold it together, but we'll deal with it in six months. Um, and I think that's a big thing in sport. You see people very willingly delay it. Um, and I think I think, that's, I think that's maybe the responsibility of coaches and parents and support staff um and if you nudge an athlete the other way if you nudge them towards that black hole like they're gone because they're 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 halfway there anyway um yeah and i think it's i don't know if that's really answered the question it's a bit of a rant but um, (laughs) i i think you have to do more and i think i hate i see it in so many aspects of sport that oh but they're running they're competing really well we'll just leave it for a bit um and and it will just tolerate it will tolerate that bad behavior or that that alarm bell because they, they might get a medal in six months yeah. and uh that's and i was like people saying like okay uh an athlete a healthy a good athlete will get you one medal a healthy athlete will get you two and it's sort of like yeah where's your where's your longevity in the sport again like i was trying to pull it back we have these conversations with with performance directors we're CEOs you're always trying to pull it back to performance yeah there are people they understand that you're trying to say well come on you could get two medals you get that right <laughs> they'll get you a medal at the next Olympics as well not just this one and um, so you're trying to spin that like kind of performance before you even think about the fact they'll be happier and healthier
0: <laughs> <laughs> as you say it's almost this myopic view that well let's just do this just get through but I had a wonderful analogy recently where someone was saying you almost compare so, someone struggling with mental health to the same way you treat your physical injury. You don't just carry on as it, <clears throat> excuse me, as it worsens. You treat it, find a cure. You also work out ways of preventing it reoccurring. You then build up around it, don't you, and carry on. And I think definitely it's not something we've got quite, rare, quite right yet. We are improving very slowly the stigma around mental health. But I also don't think we're in this position where we're doing enough for it. And as you say, I still think we've got a long way to go, sadly.
1: But it's it's so hard to solve. That's the problem. If you tear a hamstring or you strain your Achilles tendon, there's a really clear protocol. Um, someone's got mental health problems. It It is so much more complicated. And I think that makes it the athlete reluctant to address it. And the practice, yeah, and, and you end up with a coach going, well, I haven't got a qualifications for that because they don't. <laughs> and they just ignore it. You know, you kind of, you can send everyone is willing here you know, they'll go and see an osteo and a physio and a this you know three times a week to fix the physical stuff because that's simple um but yeah they're just it's just it's too easy yeah it's like the elephant in the room you just i'll just ignore it and crack it. i'll just train harder it'll be all right <laughs>
0: I really enjoyed this evening. It's had a quite different feel to a lot of the other conversations I had. But as I said to you in the voice messages we left before, it's, it's kind of where I wanted to go because you've got such different experiences. And one thing for you, as a, an athlete or former athlete, you've knowingly added so much to the sport and contributed. And I can see that only growing. So I'm really excited actually to see what comes next for you as well when you hand over the chair. You've clearly got some strong views as well, but obviously the experience to back it up. So it's really interesting. What is going to happen next over the next sort next twenty-four months? I reckon.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. But <laughs> keep my options. Keep my options open. Um, yeah, I don't like I say they get that reshuffle after the Olympics. But hey, it could be another three years. Like I've got a great full-time job at the minute, not in sport. Yeah. And you kind of go, if I, am I building skill sets there? Yeah, if I build that, build that. Uh, someone had a great phrase, but yeah, you parachute back in. They, yeah, do you kind of go, okay, if I can have a few more years upskilling myself to complement my sports knowledge then you're like okay then could I make a really big impact but who knows maybe
0: thank you so much for this evening and for being an absolute star with obviously me messing around with the pretend date and the okay. real date and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and um, enjoy the rest of your evening
1: thank you too thanks for your time
0: and that concludes another interview for the day thank you to each and every one of you for listening and as ever if you have any feedback send it through to me at my instagram handle at fighting underscore the underscore dad enjoy the rest of your day